This episode is brought to you by a brand new sponsor of the show, Picmonic. Picmonic is an audiovisual learning system with unforgettable stories and characters to help you remember everything you need to know for PT school and beyond. Used by over 1.5 million students all over the world, Picmonic is perfect for streamlining your studying in an efficient manner. Listeners of the show can use the promo code SNACKBREAK in all caps for a 20% discount, and first-time users can start today for free. Getting access to one learning objective and one Picmonic quiz per day, forever, at zero cost. Available on iOS, Android, and desktop. Once again, listeners of the show can use the promo code SNACKBREAK in all caps at checkout. Happy studying, and let's get right into the show. Hello, and welcome to episode 16 of Snack Break by OrthoSnacks. I'm your host, John Schaefer, and on this podcast, I interview physical therapists, fitness professionals, and health and wellness experts. No guests today, but I do have a really fun episode planned for you guys in which I'm going to talk about the injury that I sustained about seven weeks ago. Um, so my last week of my clinic rotation, I actually broke my arm in my first ever gravel cycling race. Uh, so I'm going to recount that story, talk a little bit about the healing timeline, um, what was actually going on with the bone, what kinds of exercises I was doing, all that good stuff. And I think, I don't know, it's just an interesting experience because I didn't really have formal physical therapy. It was uh, offered to me, but I was in a situation where I was moving states and didn't necessarily have the opportunity to go to physical therapy several times a week. So I did the best I could, looked at a lot of different surgical protocols, non-surgical, non-operative protocols, and uh, I think we turned out okay. So I'll kind of talk about all that good stuff. So it's important before we get into the nitty gritty of all that to talk a little bit about what actually happened. So for my final clinic rotation, I was in a little town called Emporia, Kansas. Emporia is famous for a couple things. One being their gravel biking scene. And just to kind of give you an idea of how big gravel bike riding is here, they host an event called the Unbound every single year. Uh, it was previously called the Dirty Konza, but they changed the name. And every single year they have nearly 4,000 riders from all 50 states and then 38 countries as well. So people are coming from all over the place to compete in this race. Now that race took place after my clinic rotation was over, so I didn't have the opportunity to ride in that. But I've as some of you might know, I'm huge into cycling. It's something that I got more into during the pandemic, but um, it's something I've always loved to do. So I usually cycle maybe 45 miles a week, a couple, or probably three or four um, rides of like 10 to 15 miles. So I'm no amateur when it comes to cycling, but I've never done an official race or anything like that. So one of the clinicians throughout my entire clinical experience is always asking hey do you want to ride do you want to ride can we get you signed up for this race and I was a little bit hesitant about it I was I was studying for boards um, didn't want to get hurt <laughs> things of that nature and so I kept on kind of putting it off um, and I wasn't cycling quite as much as I had been so I thought to jump into 30 50 even 100 mile race I thought all that would be you know how much did I want to train and things like that so I'd always kind of politely just push it off. And so during the week before week before I left that clinical, he said, you know what, why don't you do this gravel race coming up? There's like a 30-mile fun ride you could do. Um, I'll pay for your entrance. And so I was like, okay, sure. I'm only going to be here for, for another week. I might as well go to a try. 
So I signed up for the 30 mile fun ride. I didn't have any training going in. Um, and I don't know, I was just kind of thinking to myself, I'm gonna sign up for this thing. I'm gonna win it. Uh, there's not that many people in there. I think I was kind of underestimating the rest of the field too. I just assumed that, you know, everyone's out just trying to have fun, see the scenery, things like that. If I get out there, I push it, I think I can win this thing. So I did a little bit of preparation ahead of time. Uh, that same clinician gave me a cycling unitard, so I definitely looked the part. I had a little cycling cap that I wore too. Um, he gave me all kinds of like cliff energy shots. So every 30 minutes I would take one of these little gel packets. Uh, they have like 23 grams of carbs, 110 calories, uh, 65 milligrams of sodium. So I was getting plenty of electrolytes. Um, so I had, I had everything ready to go for this thing. I downloaded Strava for maps to have throughout the course. So directions would just be called out in my ear as I went. Um, so I get to the day of the race. A lot of energy around, uh, all kinds of cyclers lined up, everyone's chatting with one another, getting their bikes fixed. Now, I will say, <coughs> excuse me, I did go in and have a little bit of an adjustment on my bike. The chain was rubbing in the back, so I thought, okay, this is something I probably need to get taken care of. Um, so I go in, the guy makes a couple adjustments to my bike. I'm all set. And then we kind of go through some of the festivities. It's almost like before a basketball game, football game, they do the national anthem. Again, incredible energy so far. So I'm pretty excited at this point. The adrenaline's starting to flow. Um, they blow the whistle or shoot a gun off in the air. I can't remember which it was, but all of a sudden all the racers head out. I kind of hung towards the back. Um, so there was a 100-mile race that was going on simultaneously. So I was in the 30-mile race. Again, just the fun ride. So I think to myself, I at least got to let, let the 100 milers get out of the way. So we head out and I guess, I, I don't know. I felt like, you know, I didn't want to come out racing. I didn't want to come out too hot. So I just kind of followed the pack and there got to be a point where the 100 milers took a turn right. And then the fun riders went forward and as everyone started turning right, I looked around and I realized, okay, I think I'm in the lead. And so I realized that from that, that point forward, it was probably going to be a race of me versus myself. So I was thinking to myself that my clinical uh, coworker told me that, you know, if you can finish in two hours, I'd, I'd be very impressed. So I made that my goal. I was going to get this thing done in two hours. And remember, I've got the directions in my ear, so I'm not hearing... I'm not seeing anyone to follow. I just got to listen to the directions um, through my headphones about where I'm going. So I really, I probably didn't see anyone for the next 15 miles. And, you know, you, you always got to ask yourself, like, did I come out of the gates too hot? Am I going to have enough energy to finish? All that good stuff. And so about halfway through the race, when I'm getting into that 15, 20 mile um range all of a sudden I see another rider out in the distance I'm thinking where in the world did this guy come from and I couldn't seem to reel him in he was up consistently about a half a mile ahead of me and I just could not make up any ground and finally uh, as we got a little bit closer to there's like a rest stop slash snack station that was in the little that was in about the middle of the race um, 
I started making some ground. I'm thinking, okay, I can't stop for a snack at this point. I'm, I'm right on this guy's tail. I've been chasing him down for so long. I gotta just go forward. We're about 10 miles out. I can do this thing. And once I got to the snack station, I actually took a wrong turn. I thought I was supposed to go straight when I was supposed to turn left. So sure enough, this guy was pulling away again. And I'm thinking, come on, I just made up all this ground. And just like that, we were separated once again. So I knew with 10 miles to go, I would really need to turn on the jets if I want to have any chance of winning this thing. Um, and the race was about 65% gravel, 35% roads. So you'd go back and forth between the two. And so we're about five miles out, still in second place. And we're come up on this area where there's this big downhill stretch. It's all road and then it transitions to gravel. So I'm thinking, okay, let's build up a little speed here, take advantage of take advantage of the take advantage of the road where we have it. And then all of a sudden, as the road transitions to gravel, I see that all kinds of rocks. Big rock comes out of nowhere. Just like that. Time slows down. I feel like I'm feel myself shoot off my bike. And I I don't know. It seemed like it seemed like I could see everything happening in slow motion. My headphones flew out, my glasses broke, um, and then I kind of threw my right arm out forward to brace. <laughs> I knew it wasn't good. I was just so shocked at everything that happened because my front um, front wheel hit that rock, and all of a sudden I was on the ground. Um, and I'm just here. I'm just sitting in the ditch, trying to comprehend what just happened. Uh, I pulled out my phone, called my mom, and I told her I broke my arm. Now, I didn't know for sure that my arm was broken, but I was fairly certain. Um, and anytime you have any kind of an injury like that, you, you know, you really don't want to move your arm around too much. You kind of just want to hold it in position in case anything um, is displaced or you have any kind of a tear. You don't want to do any more damage. So, uh, panic started to set in. I lay as I was laying on the side of the gravel ditch. Uh, my parents are trying to kind of talk me, talk me off the ledge, and I noticed that I had the opportunity to. Uh, they put the number of like a the medic or whoever the coordinator of the race is on the back of your numbered card. So I called that number again. You know, I'm just I was so shocked that I was trying to give them my location, trying to coordinate all that. Keep in mind, I'm from out of town, so I don't know. I don't know any of the streets or anything like that. So I was trying to give them different landmarks. And they called, so they said they were on the way. They are going to send a couple guys. And about, uh, about 20 minutes later, I still hadn't seen anyone. I'm thinking, geez, it's not that long of a course. This is only a 30-mile ride. So I called them back, and they said, that they were looking for me on the 100 mile route because they thought surely no one in the fun ride was going that hard that they could have gotten injured. So after trying to pick out different landmarks and things like that, finally two guys in a red pickup truck showed up and they brought me to the hospital. Well, uh, once I did get to the hospital, that was kind of a less than ideal experience. Um, the whoever was working in the ER triage, I'm not quite sure who came in first. Did a very brief subjective. Um, 
super brief subjective. Um, so they're going to take some x-rays. They're only able to get like two out of the four positions that they wanted due to pain. And I just remember I was writhing in pain when they tried to extend my arm. So I'm thinking, <clears throat> okay, this cannot possibly be good. Um, and then I didn't really want pain medication, to be honest. It's just, I've always, it's always been something where um, that's not something I've enjoyed. I had to take, uh, I had to take NSAIDs for like a year from my back when I was in eighth grade. And ever since that, and I was just kind of like, if I don't need it, I really, really don't want it. But I came to my senses about 15 minutes later. Uh, <coughs> so they finally gave me some oxy, and then they left the room for really what felt like hours. I could hear occasional chatter in the hallway, but I mean, my face is still pretty cut up. I'm not moving my arm, and I'm just kind of wondering what is going on. So, uh, finally they came back in, they told me I had a, was diagnosed with a non-displaced radial head fracture, so kind of confirming what I already thought, I had some kind of break in my arm. I was really upset at the time, I don't think, I don't think I had any idea how lucky I had gotten. I knew I was cut up in pain, and all I knew is that I was going to need to take significant time off of work, uh, for working out, I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to be able to do in clinic, if I was going to be able to finish this final week. And so they didn't really provide me with a whole lot of education, which was frustrating. They simply said, okay, here's a sling. I want you to wear it. And then you'll follow up with ortho when you go home. So I really struggled with that lack of info. I think it led to a lot of anxiety and me kind of wanting to have different answers to questions I had. So I began looking at a lot of different protocols. Um, on my phone, I didn't do this initially, but one, the five or six days after I, uh, I started, started diving pretty deep into trying to figure out, you know, how can I get better as soon as I can. My biggest concern was that I was going to have contractures and I didn't really have enough knowledge of when or how it was safe to progress. Um, just based on the extent of what was going on, because again, I felt like I didn't have a lot of education as a patient, which was frustrating. So I stayed in Emporia for the rest of the weekend. I couldn't move at all. Uh, from a chair, really, showering was not going to happen. I couldn't, couldn't use the bathroom uh, a whole lot just because the whole wiping situation. And I kept on getting this random catching sensation that would elicit the most pain, for sure. Uh, if I moved just wrong, I would experience a shooting pain throughout my arm and... Is enough to make me not want to move up, move around a whole lot, a whole lot. So after about three days of this through the weekend, I called my director of clinical education. We talked a little bit about it, and she said, "You know, John, you can't finish out this last week. Um, I don't want you to put to put you in a position where you're going to do more damage, or this could have long-term impacts on your career if your arm doesn't heal." So uh, we kind of made a game plan to go home. My uncle from Kansas City came and picked me up, and then my dad flew down from Minnesota and drove me back home. And then, so now we're at about the day five mark. I went to see my family, uh, family med, my primary care physician, um, and I had more x-rays done. And this time the x-rays weren't quite as painful. 
could kind of get in the positions they wanted me to. Still, the elbow extension was torturous. <laughs> uh, but at this point, I was kind of keeping track of my range of motion throughout this entire process, just because, <coughs> just because I was curious and wanted to know um, how I was progressing and things like that, just so I could have objective measures because no one else was taking them. Um, so at this point, I had 30 degrees um, away from full extension and 120 degrees of flexion. And then kind of from that appointment, I didn't get a whole lot of more information. It was just the same deal where I was told, okay, you'll follow up with ortho. You have a non-displaced radio head fracture. This time they showed me the x-rays and then we talked a little bit about um, what the progression might look like. Again, at this point, a lot of it was as tolerated. They told me I didn't need to wear the sling, that that probably wasn't the best idea to keep that on for so long because I had it on for, at this point, five days. And even with it being only five days, I will say that I did start to have um, a lot of muscle tightening, especially in the triceps. So I'll kind of break down like when I started to do more um, tricep stretching with the arm inflection. And so I was able to ask some questions. There was a medical student kind of led this objective here. She was able to examine some of my wounds, give me some good information about the wound healing process, just kind of fill in a few of those gaps as where, whereas I did not have that opportunity to do so uh, during my visit to the emergency room. So they sent me over to ortho and I was able to get in I think it was the following Thursday, I want to say. So between this period of time, I started to look more at the surgical protocols, review bone healing time, and things like that. So now I want to talk just a little bit about the different surgical protocol, the non-surgical, non-operative protocols that are out there. <coughs> So for most of the non-operative protocols, they're broken into several phases. The first phase is always that immobilization phase. So they talk about using a sling <clears throat> just for comfort and discontinuing as soon as tolerated. So for me, it's hard to say exactly when I would have been able to tolerate not using the sling. I'm glad I did have it on for the first the first two or three days for sure, just to avoid that catching sensation. But once we got out closer into you know, the four or five day mark, that's when I started to get concerned about the contractures and that's when I felt like, okay, maybe I, maybe I do need this, maybe I don't need this. Um, and so again, just going off the as tolerated. So, and then during this time, it's also encouraged for limited range of motion doing a little bit of active range of motion of the hand and wrist immediately. So I tried to really keep my wrist moving, um, working a lot of flexion, extension, radial, ulnar deviation. And then I think it was probably about three days after the break that I started trying to work on getting that extension back. Um, 
I tried to play around with like some active assistive range of motion for pronation and supination, but that truthfully was disastrous. Um, super painful, and that's again would kind of give me that catching sensation. So I tried to avoid that as much as I could, and really. For the first two weeks, when you think about the bone healing timeline, you're, that's in like that hematoma formation phase. So um, that's when you'll see like the rupture of the blood vessels, and then almost think of like the blood clotting around the bone before, prior to the soft callus formation. So when you think of everything that's going on, just in terms of bone healing, it makes sense that you want to do a little bit of range of motion, just encourage blood flow, but at the same time you really don't want to be cranking on it just because everything's not solidified yet. So at this point in time, again, the first phase, about a week out, I was progressing the range of motion. I think at the end of the first week, let's see here, I was, my extension had improved, so I was only 20 degrees away from zero, and then uh, I was about 130 degrees of flexion. So seeing improvement across the board, and then having the most trouble with sleep, for sure. So up next, we had my follow-up with ortho, and that was at the week two mark. And honestly, this was probably the most enjoyable experience that I'd had in terms of meeting with um, any kind of medical providers throughout the whole process. So went into ortho, got my third set of x-rays. This is something that was a little bit confusing to me, not quite sure if it was necessary to have the three separate sets of x-rays, I know it was probably a little bit challenging just across different health systems, but I mean, I had my x-rays from Emporia sent to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and I don't know, I guess they said that they wanted x-rays taken, they wanted their own quote-unquote own set of x-rays, so just, just interesting, um, but this time when I had my x-rays taken, was able to get in all four positions that they wanted, and really, uh, really not too not too much discomfort. Again, just with uh, extension, still not being full. It didn't feel great, but I was at least able to get in that position, which I felt was progress. So at the rest of that appointment, I didn't get a ton of information either. I guess this was the first time I kind of realized, okay, I did probably get pretty lucky. Um, the orthopedic surgeon explained to me most people heal very well from this injury um, there there's not really a whole lot of ways you can mess up the recovery process as long as you're mindful of wavering uh, wavering precautions to try not to you should only try not to do more than like coffee cup weight bearing so less than five pounds for six weeks and then I was also told that, it, you know, it's just super important that you don't fall on it again. Obviously with, again, still trying to heal up, uh, we don't wanna risk having any kind of displacement because at this point it was non-displaced. And so she, she also said that I could have some physical therapy, but that's not typically, um, she, wouldn't, she wouldn't typically send a patient with this injury to physical therapy just because um, just because of the minimal severity of it outside, outside of obviously it being super uncomfortable um, 
And then, so I asked her if I could see like their surgical, their non-operative protocol. And I can't remember, I can't quite remember what she said. She said she was going to give it to me and then she never did, but they wrote, uh, they just wrote me a note for the rest of the summer working on a strength conditioning internship. I was going to have to do, you know, a good amount of lifting, lifting different plates and demonstrating exercises and all that good stuff. So they wrote me that letter, which was nice. And then she said, you know, I could contact her if I had any issues or wanted to be put in contact with anyone uh, out in Boston. She'd be more than happy to help with that. So I guess the biggest takeaway from that was probably just peace of mind, greater recognition of how lucky I was to be where I was at and that I didn't have greater injury and that uh, most likely I was going to heal up just fine and be able to move forward with my internship over the summer. So I'm trying to think if anything else significant happened at week two. Okay, yeah, I guess I would say, so at this point, that was the day before, <clears throat> the day before I left for graduation with my parents. And um, so I'd done just a little bit of driving at this point. This is a, this is at about day. This would be a, would have been at day eleven, and so I guess I was curious if I was going to be able to do any driving. Um, I did, I did end up driving mostly using my left arm. Um, I can't say it's something I really asked the surgeon about, but again, it seems like most of this recovery was is just going to be symptom based, and then trying not to try not to injure that arm by doing too much weight bearing. So I went down to graduation, uh, maintained precautions for the most part, did a lot, <laughs> just with the nature of graduation, did a lot of. Um, holding beverages and things like that. So my arm definitely got a good workout and was fairly sore throughout the weekend, to be honest. <clears throat> and then we'll move on to week three. So week three, within most surgical protocols, this is when you start to work on active range of motion, flexion, extension, working in some active assistive range of motion for pronation, supination, and then working on some grip strength as well. So I got home from graduation and continued the whole time, continuing to work on flexion extension. So doing just a whole lot of that throughout the day. <clears throat> Most of the time, just in sets of like 10 to 20 reps, whenever I could remember. My range of motion at this point, I was 10 degrees away from full extension and 145 degrees of flexion. So getting very close. And when we think about the healing process at this point, this is kind of when the soft callus formation takes place. So the hematoma is starting to solidify a little bit more. New blood vessels are forming within the callus. It's still not, it's still not hard and sturdy though. Like you don't want to be doing too much weight bearing at this point. Um, <clears throat> but I did feel like I was at a point where I was comfortable working in some grip strength. So I got a little bit of a, set on Amazon, just like a grip training set. It came with a ball, uh, what's it called? It's called, I think it's called like Series 8 Fitness. So it had like an actual grip strength thing that you can squeeze, a little rubber ball, um, a device where you slip all your fingers in and you can pull them into extension. 
It's just a lot of different tools I could use to start to get some of that grip strength back. And the very next week, I <clears throat> drove out to Boston, so it was a three-day trip that was 21 hours. And this was something that concerned me quite a bit because I knew I was going to be having to do a lot of driving and I didn't know how my arm was going to hold up. What I tried to do was throughout that trip, I drove, I drove with my left arm and then I had my right arm, um, I had my right arm kind of propped up on a pillow. So it was just sitting in extension. And I figured that if I could keep that in extension for most of the day, that'd be a really good opportunity to work on. Uh, regaining, regaining that full amount of extension so I wouldn't have to worry about uh, any further contractions. Because you think if you're hanging on to the steering wheel and get your arm flexed for eight hours a day, that's probably not going to bode super, super well. So the trip out to Boston was successful. Didn't have too many issues. Uh, continuing to work on the grip strength. And then I really had an issue at this point because I was just so tempted to jump back into getting some full workouts in. Um, once I did arrive in Boston, the gym here is closed every single day from 10 to 12 first like staff workouts. So I got a new program and things like that. I was just very excited to get going using some of the equipment. Um, so at the end of week four, I started to incorporate some flexion and extension exercises using about five pounds and then pronation supination doing that active range of motion so step up from active assistive continuing with grip strength but now working in weight shifts in the plank position just so i can start loading the arm a little bit um, as that uh, soft callus progresses it'll eventually turn into a hard callus formation and if you start to do some of that weight shifting um, loading the joint that'll help that usually helps to expedite the process a little bit if you're ready of course and then additionally I was lifting five to ten pounds for some of the, my workouts during that week I think I did two workouts so when I had like single leg uh, single leg RDLs I had like reverse lunges things like that so trying to limit myself to five to ten pounds I was even doing some <laughs> med ball <clears throat> Med ball exercises like overhead slams. Um, let's see, like one one leg rotational plyos, using med balls, standing on one leg, rotating, tossing a med ball repeatedly into the wall. Um, trying to stay within that restriction I was given though, so around five pounds. And I will say I was very sore and achy after that first workout. I kind of realized I pushed things too quickly. But the gym I work in is connected to a PT clinic. So I was able to access some of the resources there. So I used, started using ultrasound, like a hot laser. Um, and that's, that seemed to help with pain management a little bit. And during, during this week, so between weeks four and five, I started getting a lot of clicking in my elbow. And that was very frustrating to me because I feel like patients will always ask you, okay, this is clicking, that's clicking. Like, what does that mean? Is it painful when it clicks? Uh, yeah, so is it painful when it clicks is usually the main question that we'll ask patients. So I just asked myself, well, it's not super painful. It doesn't feel great, but probably not something to be overly concerned about at this point. And then 
Range of motion is about three degrees of hyperextension and 150 degrees of flexion between weeks four and five, or towards the end of end of week four, beginning of week five. Um, so making a lot of progress there. I was in a little bit of an odd situation. I guess it's not even odd. It's just my left elbow has 10 degrees of hyperextension and. So the question I was asking myself was, is negative three degrees or three degrees of hyperextension good enough to start doing some more serious strengthening? Um, and a concept that I was thinking about and talking to some of the PTs is that if I'm naturally at 10 degrees of hyperextension on the left, that means that with a lot of activities and things I do throughout my life, I'm likely gonna get back to that 10 degrees of hyperextension over time. So I was comfortable introducing some more strengthening. And so with week five, I did my first two full workouts. Um, my lifting restriction that I gave myself was 15 pounds. <coughs> so up from, up from the six pounds, but again, I was pain, pain free at this point, full range of motion. So I used 15 pounds for like one arm dumbbell press, um, reverse lunges, goblet squats, and again, pretty sore, achy for about three days afterwards. So just taking things a little bit slower. And then once we got to week six, uh, it was full, full workouts, no restriction, no discomfort during or after. Uh, continuing to have some pain with end range, especially with uh, overpressure into pronation, supination. And then I guess the biggest thing as well is just the stiffness. Um, so that kind of brings us to where we are now. I talked a little bit about, you know, when I was doing my weight shifts, so that was between weeks three and six, well, a hard callus formation is taking place. But now here I am at week seven. And at this point in time, there's really a lot of just bone remodeling that's going to take place. So some of that, some of that stiffness is just going to take a little bit of time. And that's something I have to recognize that, you know, I could have a little bit of that achiness and stiffness uh, for even a couple months as the bone remodeling continues. And it's just going to be a matter of continuing to gradually load the joint and um, and just seeing how it responds. So I plan on continuing to use some of those modalities in clinic as long as they're available. So definitely using the hot laser. And what that does is that a lot of times will just help stimulate, or at least the thought is, help stimulate bone regrowth and by encouraging blood flow and things like that. So overall, at this point in time, just really, it's really grateful that you know, things, things are working out. Um, cause initially when this happened, I could have definitely had a concussion, broken teeth, uh, more severe injuries to legs, arms. So really just have a non-displaced, pretty small fracture from the radial head. Uh, I think we got pretty lucky. So, uh, next up is just going to be getting back out on the road bike and starting to slowly build up my confidence because after you have something like this happen, could take a little bit of time so thank you guys so much for listening you know i really appreciate every one of you who tunes in and hopefully you're able to get a little bit of value from this just learning more about the process of 
um, non-displaced radial head fractures and kind of what that might look like from a more, uh, more, more personal standpoint. So rather than just seeing it on paper, like what would this experience actually look like, what would lead to it, and how might you handle the recovery. And again, this likely not something you'd see a ton in PT just because the recovery process is pretty straightforward. So outside of following a surgical protocol, <coughs> or non-surgical pro protocol rather, um, outside the use of modalities and maybe some soft tissue if you're not getting the range of motion back as quickly as you'd like, everything's pretty straightforward. So thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out. And if you feel so inclined, leave a positive review or a five-star rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. And really, really appreciate it. It helps get the word out and helps me keep putting out good content. So have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you on the next one.